Hey everybody, welcome to season two of the Mixmasters podcast. I'm your host, Steve Litcher, and for those not familiar, I'm the touring front of house engineer for Stitched Up Heart. Working with Stitched Up Heart has led me to meet an incredible number of really talented people, and I wanted to introduce you to them. I wanted to let you hear their stories and learn from their experiences. This is really your chance to listen in on behind the scenes talk and to learn from some of the best in the business. I have to give a huge shout out to my pal, Merritt Goodwin, for this killer intro music. Merritt is the lead guitarist for Stitched Up Heart, and he's also an extremely talented composer. Give him a follow on Facebook at Merritt Goodwin or on Instagram at Merritt Goodwin Official. Now let's bring up the faders and jump into this episode of Mixmasters Podcast. The premiere episode of Season 2 features a powerhouse of roundtable guests that includes Alex Marquides, Ashton Parsons, Brian Campbell, and Travis Wade. Each of the guys have appeared in Season 1, and I thought it would be cool to bring them all together to discuss some common topics. So today we'll talk about microphones, the choices that we make for various situations, EQ settings, delays, using reverbs, making adjustments during sound checks, and so much more. Collectively, this group has at least 80 years of live sound mixing experience, so you don't want to miss a single minute of the episode. Also, be sure to follow everybody on Instagram. Ashton can be found at Ashton Parr, Alex at Darkides, Brian at Brian Campbell, all one word, and Travis at Death to Travis. Links to their profiles can be found in today's show notes. So without further ado, let's get going with the episode. I hope you'll enjoy it. Hi, everybody. Welcome to season two of the Mix Masters podcast. I am your host, Steve Litcher, and I'm joined today by a plethora of my favorite people. Uh, we're going to try something different for season two, and Ashton Parsons is going to uh, auto-tune introduce everybody for us. So Ashton, would you mind taking it away? Absolutely. Hi, everybody. I'm Ashton Parsons, and I am here to do the introductions. First, we have... <laughs> The man himself, the most popular applicant or person on this podcast, Mr. Alex Marquides. Hi. <laughs> Next up, we have the man himself. He doesn't just do front of house. He does tour management amongst a million other things. Travis Wade. Woo! <laughs> and next up after that, Hi. we have the dude who... <laughs> Totally made me uh, way more humble on my first tour ever, Mr. Brian Campbell. <laughs> Woo! Last but yeah. the star host, Steve. <laughs> and I'm Ashton. Welcome. <laughs> Unbelievable. All right, enough of that. So good. <laughs> Let's call it good there. That's all, it's not going to get any better. It's all downhill from there. So thanks everybody for listening. Catch us next time when we talk latency and everybody have a good day. <laughs> uh, thanks for doing that, Ashton. Hell yeah. All right. So I'm going to expose a little bit of information. That's probably too much information. Um, we all met about a week ago uh, to talk microphones and we talked about the Shure SM58 and we went down this wonderful tangent about the microphones that we use and prefer and why we use those things. And then my computer died and I lost all of the content. Uh, so we are getting back together today and we're gonna talk about microphones, but we're not gonna focus on the SM58. We all agree that that's a workhorse microphone. It's There's really nothing that it doesn't do 
well. Uh, and there are other microphones that we appreciate or use on a more regular basis. So I wanted to kick things off by talking a little bit about uh, vocal microphones, guitar microphones, drum microphones, and let's take it from there. So I know everybody has their preferences. Um, a number of us like the SE Electronics V7s. Uh, a lot of us like the Telefunkins. I don't think many of us have really worked with DPA microphones too much. Uh, well, I have. Oh yeah, Ashton and I talked about that in our in our uh, one-on-one podcast and the the fun of forty ninety nines. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 the de facto is cool for some people. It works if you've got a really, you know, a singer that projects well. But if you've got like a, um, sort of a quieter singer, and I know a lot of uh, pop mixers really like them, the DPA de facto's for singers. But in my experience, if you've got like a, you know, the diminutive like pop singer it's not going to get the job done. It becomes a really ugly cymbal mic. Um, but on the other hand, you've got um, uh, uh, bands like uh, Dashboard Confessional using them. And Chris is such a powerful singer and really good on the mic that it sounds killer for him. Uh, when Disturbed went and did um, a TV appearance in Australia, they didn't have Telefunk and M80s, so uh, we used the de facto sounded solid um but for a quiet singer not so good <laughs> leonardo uh from dpa sent me a whole package i remember for the periphery tour that i did uh and the 4099s are cool but they are so fragile and the only uh, the only mic i really enjoyed from them was the 2011 c on snare that mic is phenomenal it's tiny and it's just per- i think a perfect snare mic but again, the price tag is insane and not worth buying. But like, damn. Would you guys say the price tag is worth the quality? Uh, I mean, Brian, it's, it's hard to compare when you have mics like the Beta 57 that's like almost as good for like a hundred bucks when you have this the 2011 that is like, I don't, I don't even know what it costs, like seven or eight hundred dollars or something like that. Right. Brian, and- your your comments last last time we did this, bef- you know, before the hard drive died, um, about the <laughs> Beta ninety eight amps, kind mm-hmm. of echoes my feelings about the forty ninety nines. It uh, sounds fine by itself. Yeah. But in a mix. In a mix, it it. Mm, Unless it's, it's like it's, doesn't work for you. Well, so. I did a side by side like recording thing. I did one night with the 4099s on the toms in the same spot. And then I did a show with the beta 98s in the same spot. And it was like night and day the amount of bleed I was getting from them. Um, right. And just micro cables really tripped me out. Like I'm, I still have PTSD of the old days with the original you know, beta 98s and yep. beta 91s and stuff, just, you know, middle of a show. Yeah. The only thing you have to check on the 98s is really like from day to day is the capsules can come unscrewed a little bit on the head, mm-hmm. but just have your drum tech check those every day. And I've never had an issue. The mounts kind of suck, but if right. you wrap the wrap, the um, XLR around the front of it to create a little bit of, um, you know, take the tension off the gooseneck, you know, I, I've done 
I don't know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of shows with those. Uh, I had had one fall off during a show and like, you know, it crackled. I was like, well, there goes that mic and I didn't even whatever. And then like the drum kit was packed up and I literally was still on the carpet and this this tiny little gray head. I was like, yes, I found it. It's there. (laughs) I was real sad though. And just to touch base, what I was saying uh, about the 98s on the last uh, recording was just that I I don't prefer them on Tom's. Um, I think it's a great microphone by itself and I can get a really good result by itself. But when I have a rock drummer just slamming away on a kit, um, it's just something I find a little hard to work with, uh, with, with gating. And that's even with using, you know, like every trick on a gate from using the filters and so on. It's just something that I find like I can get there, but it takes a ton more work. And the other thing I will add to that, um, Valentino, the drummer for Mice and Men, he's a fucking big ass dude, and that motherfucker slams. He does, um, and uh, which is awesome. Um, but they owned it at '98, so that's what I was using, and um, I had a f- trouble finding a sweet spot with him, and that was where you know I would have the gain set so low on the microphone to where like I just wasn't getting the sound I wanted. Um, but at the same time, like I would gain it up and then it'd be just fine. And then he put one of those fucking Popeye man, like fucking hits into it. And it would literally just clip the microphone. You know what I mean? And it'd only be on those parts. And then the next show I'd go and like, all right, he does that the same way every time I'm going to back it down a little bit. But then I just wasn't happy with the way it sounded through the rest of the show when he was playing normally. Right. You know what I mean? Was, was that when he was still using like the plastic shells? Um, no, both. Uh, both. He was, okay. this, yeah, this is through the two, almost three years I worked with him when he was playing his, uh, his maple series DW. And then when he switched to those acrylics, um, which pissed me off during those acrylics, because as you guys know, I don't know, I was using the May mounts inside, which I love for Tom's. Um, and, uh, I was using, what was I using? Audix D4s on May mounts inside all the toms. And then when he went to that acrylic kit, he wanted to put the lights in the acrylic kit. And guess what got priority over that little sound port hole? A little input for the lights, not the microphones anymore. (laughs) Yeah. I I remember the first time I ran into the 98s and I was like, oh, these are so bright. But the thing I've I've started doing, well, and I've been doing for, for years now is... I filter um, on the gates at the um, the initial note of the tom, so I go way low. I'm not going for the attack or the box. I go at like mm-hmm. um, my go to is like rack tom, 110 to 105, and then from there, you know, 104 to 98, and so on. So you get the fun to, fundamental, and I found yeah. that works really well, with the exception of like, you know, if you're charlie benante and you've got a fucking ride sitting over half the drum in which case i just use a a trigger gate you know which is the still the best way to go on tom's like as long as i have the inputs like i am i am putting a trigger on that tom no matter what to side chain that gate because at the end of the day it does not matter what microphone you are using yeah you are 110 percent going to get a better result every single time so, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, 
Brian, where did you end up going with for that scenario where you were trying the 98s and you weren't having good luck? Did you go with the D4s and stick with the D4s or did you end up switching? Well, he, uh, you know, it was it was microphones the band owned and Tino really liked seeing uh, their stuff used. So I, I just dealt with it, you know, and it was just something that, you know, man, it's one of those situations where you just got to slap your own hand because I'm the only one that notices it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm the only one that's sitting there listening to playback and going like, ah, oh, that's that, or during the show going, uh, you know? Um, so I, I just dealt with it, you know? And and he was really stoked to go to the internal mics because, you know, it was like technology and he was trying something new. And Tino is all about that. He's, you know, he's down to try anything. But, you know, he knows that those 98s are pretty expensive and they're badass microphones and you know he really liked when we didn't when we weren't using the internal mics he really liked seeing them used so i i just you know like you know whatever man let's do it i, I mean i have no problem with the microphone it's just something i find that i have to work harder at than other microphones to get where i want to be you know what i mean it's crazy you said that because when i was out with, with stitch it apart uh in july doing a private show with them i put 98s on every one of decker's drums and you're right i did have to gate the heck out of them do you guys think that that's a result of it being a condenser or is it the the shape of the capsule or i mean you're you're definitely gonna get i find that i have to do less work on a 98 in terms of eqing because there's already a ton of top end in it so my go-to is just to pull you know anywhere from 700 to 400 out of it and then you know high pass filter the um the low end out a little as I go. Um, but I rarely boost anything on a 98. You know, who it's makes already that, built in there. You know, who makes that microphone sound good on a drum set and he uses it pretty much on, I think maybe everything, including overheads or underheads is Bruce Ryder from yeah, was, yep. five finger death punch. Every microphone on that drum kit is a 98 from the toms to the underheads snare. It's, it's all 98s and yep. his drum sound badass yeah they sound so, huge you yeah, know it's, it's ridiculous it's uh it's, he's on the lv1 now i just saw he was uh yeah so he, he was on the lv1 and then he had an issue while touring in europe where the computer dropped audio a couple times on him oh, um and then the last time i spoke to him which was a couple months ago we we're just bsing about audio and um, I think he's pretty convinced that he's going to take a S6L out uh, when they nice. start touring again. Nice. I think actually these tours that were supposed to happen at the end of this year, he had S6L lined up from Claire to go out. That's right. Him. Yeah, I remember that now because a couple of times in Europe, he he I think the majority of shows because he started having to take local consoles, uh, he was getting profiles. And, mm -hmm. you know, Bruce, Bruce loves consistency. Yep. You know, hence why every single mic on that kit is a 98. I think he switched to a, I think he switched his snare mic to like a beta 57 or a beta 56 actually. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, he, that dude, another great guy who would, you would love to have on this uh, podcast. We'll, we'll oh, do the yeah. intro, Steve. That would, that would be easy to get him on here yeah, too. He's, he's a great dude. He's a great dude, man. He's yeah. um, Zen, you know? Yeah. <laughs> No drama with that guy. Sort of like uh, Alex over there. Um, so Travis and Alex, uh, what are, what about you guys and your experiences with, let's go with Tom mics. I know we started talking vocal mics, but we morphed into talking drums. Uh, let's go with Travis. What are your Tom mics for 
dance Gavin dance and what do you like about him? What do you do to him? Any sort of tips and tricks? Uh, my game is always just keep him out of the swing of the stick in a big way. Once I can figure out what Mike will work out of the swing of the stick, uh, then I kind of will pick from there. We had the 904s for the longest times, had zero issues with them. Uh, once I kind of got something happy and a good in the mix, Matt's a very consistent drummer with how he hits that you don't really need to change much. And it was actually, it was fun on the last full Dance Gavin tour we did when Alex was out with Periphery. I got to fill in for him a few days and he had the 98s on Matt's drums. And I got to get like a back-to-back comparison because at that time I had just put M81s on Matt's toms and see what they were back and forth. And yeah, actually, I, I like the results out of the 98s a little bit more. The 81s sounded warm and they were big and boomy, but something about at least Matt's kit and the way it was tuned, that was probably one of my favorite sounding kits we I had had of the year, especially with that mic setup. How would you compare so, uh, the 81 to the 904 you were using? I got a little bit cleaner low end and a little bit more controllable low end in that initial punch. And then out of the 81? Out of the 81, yes. Uh, the 904 was clean, but just with Matt's drum, especially once he switched over to a DW kit, it just seemed to sit a lot nicer. Uh, I, I, the 904s were a little too harsh with his cymbals and everything else. I've been wanting to try one of the 80 or the 81 SHs on Tom's. Um, I haven't yet. I've used them on snare. They sound great on snare, but haven't yet tried to use them on Tom's. So I was just curious. My only complaint is just because they're such a big capsule, they're so heavy, their tom clamps don't hold on very well. And if you get a drummer that's really just moving his kit or something, I've watched it fall off a few t- few drums. And I've had a few drummers, uh, when I was with Light the Torch last year with Ice Nine, their drummer just hit his kit so hard and was so aggressive that unless that clip was borderline super glued to the rim, uh, it was coming off and the 81s didn't stand a chance. Yeah. Anybody ever work with a drummer that refused to allow them to attach anything to the drum set or like the rim? Uh, I've had a couple drummers for like, like uh, I, I don't generally use a, I try to stay away from stands as much as I can. So even like on a kick out mic, I'll use an LP claw. And I've had a couple different drummers not too stoked about me putting some tape on that wooden hoop to put it on there. So then, you know, I just go to the leg after that and mount it off to, you know, one of the legs of the kick drum, which works just as well. It's just a little harder to get that angle right, you know, but especially if the port's not in like a perfect place, it's not going to work. Right. (laughs) Kelly. (laughs) shoe. Yeah. yeah, Well, I see, I still like putting a kick out mic out. Um, and with breaking, we we use Kelly shoes for both the 91 and the, and the D six that's in there and it works fine. It's not a big deal, but I, I still, if I could have my way, it would still be outside of the port and, you know, and it's just me. It's just what I like. Cause I really, with my kick out microphone, I am not using any of the high end at all in that microphone. I actually low pass that microphone to 150 Hertz. Like literally it's just the boom and all the snap is the, is the 91. Are you delaying the mic at all? Um, usually I can get there with just phase flip on it. But right now with breaking Benjamin, I don't, I I actually use delay because we are using triggers with his drum set 
um like oh, actually, we're, we're, exact yeah so everything's put to the trigger so and you know what I, I can't even remember if once i have it time aligned if i am flipping phase on it because yeah i, I can't remember off the top of my head but um me, it varies on the day like if the subs are not aligned to the pa i have to flip the phase on one of them or not to for the sub uh, to actually feel like the sub Wow, are you, are you talking about when, when you've got a pair of Kelly shoes, or just like an in and out? Because in I've, and out. Oh, okay, yeah, I've oh, I've like you know, like six inch or whatever the depth. Yeah. Is. Oh, well, what I what I was gonna get at was with the Kelly shoes. I find like if you get them where they're right over each other, I I never have to flip phase or yeah, do anything yeah. because yeah. they they're in line. Uh, Alex, do you remember that that? Um, set up with the dream theater kit on that tour we did together 10 yeah. years ago. That's where I it stole that from. Yeah. Yeah. From Neil. Yeah, that's right. And it was like, it, it's like now that you've got the Kelly shoe and flat, you know, they're just all there together. And Brian's idea of doing the high pass, you know, you recreate it, but I do like, I agree. I like having the air there. Um, one of the cool tricks I learned from Eddie map actually was putting like a condenser right at the hole of the port and that gets you a lot more impact out of the kick out mic rather oh, than wow. rather than it i but mean you've got to be that's some pretty high spl coming out of right there too the especially the air movement yeah and it's cool you know and most the thing about it is most condenser mics are rated for like 160 db anyway yeah um never gonna so, that. yeah exactly i gotta so, try that so I found that if you do that, either with a condenser or like a beta 52, because when you just stick it inside the hole, you know, just like the diaphragm inside the hole, you're not really getting any body. You're just kind of yeah. getting a reflection of the shell. That's coming like, at it. That's like classic beta 52 basketball sound. Yeah. yeah and no. I mean, that oh. takes me back to the not liking like any of the main uh -huh. stuff because it sounds like basketballs. Yeah. So, so I figured out a trick to the, to the main mounts. You got, you want to hear this? I think bring I might it on. Okay. Yeah. So you guys all know, know Nate Northway, right? Of course. Yeah. Okay. So with a day to remember, he, uh, he was having a lot of trouble with cymbal bleeds out of his microphones and he knew that I had used those main mounts. So he started talking to me about it and he was doing his research on it. And, uh, you know, at this point in time, I would go literally 1.6 K and I would just drop it. You know what I mean? Because that was that, you know, like basketball, like you're saying, sound. The basketball, the attack from that basketball effect that you would take out. He I can't remember where he was reading it. And but he tested it. But he literally would just take Oralex and zip tie it like I have this microphone right in front of me and say this was the top of, you know, say this was a D4 or whatever. He would put Oralex around it so just that the top of the microphone was was you know open and the rest of it would have orlex zip tied in there and once you did that you had zero issue with that same effect like i don't want to say zero but it, it eliminated it by like 90 percent um yeah. so cool. i i did it on all the microphones and then i was still making just a little cut at one six you know what i mean just to fit finish taking off that effect or that that basketball sound you know what i mean but uh man it worked like a charm and uh we told randy may about it and he actually even made 
And I don't know if he ever ended up selling or whatever, but he was designing like a piece of Oralex that was designed to go around the specific microphone you were using. Hmm. Um, but it, it was just something with the way the sound would bounce in the shell and, you know, way above my head on how it worked. But it, it, it's something that it did. It just soaked it up and it, and it just focused more on the, the, the actual attack from the microphone and so on. Sick. Yeah. Right. I mean, you can only EQ out a sound so much if it's right. if it's there, but mm-hmm. changing the characteristic of the mic, that's that's huge. That's yeah. a cool idea. It goes back to what a lot of us talk about and we talked about individually, which is if you're having a problem, change it at the source. You know, don't don't sit and fiddle with the EQ Always. to try Always. and fix something, yeah. you know, change the mic, change the position, whatever. But I also can't help but think it's almost the equivalent of trying to cup the drum mic and we all hate it when singers cup of vocal mic but it's funny how it works in that scenario it's right you're cha- you're changing the acoustics and you're also changing the sort of the pickup pattern of the microphone yeah to suit your needs that's a good idea i mean i haven't been in a position to like tour on it i've just filled in with a couple people and done it in my home studio sticking a a may mic inside and i was like there's no there's no right way to do this it sounds Dude, like next, goddamn basketballs next time you do it try it just and you know you can work with any foam and then do the awesome thing about using the main mounts once you once you have them done is just like your your gating isn't as much of an issue and it becomes a situation where you can catch every little nuance right. of that tom hit like uh you know, like I imagine Alex, somebody with like Matt that plays super dy- dynamically, you know, with periphery, like, dude, it would be fucking awesome to use with him. I'm sure, you know, yeah. I just can't gating's hard with Matt. It's like what's hard with you him? can't really do it. Almost. Gating. Yeah, it's it's just like you. I, I know his drumming so well now that I can just like I have a, you know, like a little snapshot or whatever to turn all the gates on or off for certain parts or whatever. So. And then I can cut him right at a, like a certain hit or something like that. But see, um, with internal with the main mounts on him, I bet you you would be able to just kind of be in a more of a set it and forget it. Or have you tried it and it didn't work I, either? N- I've never tried internal. Besides the uh, well, we did try internal for his like big floor tom on his left side, but that ended up sounding like a basketball. So yeah, took it forever. out. But I it was like a big. It's almost like a bass drum. It was like an eighteen inch by. 18 by 18 gigantic floor tom yeah i just can't wait to like gate manufacturers uh slate came out with a cool gate uh oh, for dude, the studio stuff awesome. where it basically does a low pass filter immediately down to like a target frequency range that you select so you've got your filters up top that you know you would get your target opening uh at and then you've got your standard attack release but then underneath you've got sort of the resonance filter. And so what happens after that transient is it immediately goes for whatever fundamental you set up and you've got a release time for that as well for how long that kicks in. So that way you can set your standard gate release time a lot longer and allow the tone to hang out more. So you get, because you think about it, the transient of a tom or any drum is maybe like a millisecond at best and the rest of it is the tone of the drum, the fundamental. So what that gate does is it just automatically just sweeps down, but there's no audible sweep either, which is crazy. Why can't Um, they make that a live plugin? I'm sure they can. (laughs) I'm sure there's a way to do it. You'd probably for now have to... Too much latency? Hey! Hey. I know I'd been talking to a couple (laughs) um, a couple different uh, 
software manufacturers, uh, plugin manufacturers about doing, you know, AAX DSP in order to get into like an S an SXL or into uh, like a, a sound grid platform. But that involves completely reprogramming and kind of rebuilding it from scratch, which can most you use are not any of those slate in. plugins live at all? Like, yeah, the latency is not bad. If you've got the processing power, you would just have to do it like in a physical, you know, okay. through an interface and back out. So you're introducing latency. <laughs> <laughs> have you tried using that? Uh, it's like the waves uh, thing, but it's called Dr. Uh, Doctor something. It's something you use with like the Pharaoh fish, right? Yeah, yeah. God, I can't remember what it's called. I, I can't think of it either. I know Lee, um, Irish Lee. I can't think. Lee McMahon is that his name? Yeah. Who's um, mixing? Like he's with a mice now. No, he's a he's an Irish cat who's mixing. Um, they sound just like the 1975, and I can't think of what his name is. But he was using the Pharaoh fish setup to uh, with this doctor thing and i know nate northway was talking about this too actually because it's basically like to use slate it's basically like you can it's like the waves uh online sound grid yeah it's like sound grid but it's something else and you can use like i, I know my buddy was using it for like you can use fab filter plugins yeah uh, you can use like any third-party plugin uh with a thing i'm trying with, to see like, if i can find any it. situation he was using it in dante but but it's cool i was just like man i want to do that and then use like other stuff like you know you could even use the plugin alliance stuff live yep well so but it's all native it's no sir there's no server so you're using your computer power for all that so so the thing about plugin alliance is apparently it's everything works right it's just a matter of them making an installer and wanting to work with avid otherwise it's pretty much a hundred percent there yeah so i don't know maybe one day because it's all I, I can't seem to find the name of this this thing either. Um, but anyway, we're off track. Microphones. So what's ev what's everybody's favorite like bass mic, if that's still a thing? I'll go ahead and jump in real quick before people have a, ch a chance to formulate some ideas and answers. But I go direct with Stitch It Up Hard. Everybody's on Kempers, and so that makes it really easy. We don't have any cabinets to deal with. And outside of like a studio environment, I'm not sure that I really see any live studio cabs that sound so good that I have to mic them over what's coming out of the bass directly. So it, for me, it's direct out of a camper or a DI if I'm doing a festival situation for something local here. I haven't had to mic a bass cab in a very long time, but my go-to was always just 421s or 57s. Um, I, I know when I first started, I kind of gravitated towards, well, I should use a kick drum mic because it's a you know, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, <laughs> if you're taking, if you're taking a DI signal as well, I got to the point where I was just practicing the habit of taking the low end from the DI instead of the microphone and then high passing out all of the low end, the rumble from the stage, so to speak, out of the microphone. So then I was more using it for its, its mids and attack and everything like that and getting the low end from the, 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 the DI itself. Yeah. But yeah, 421 I think was that's that's my yeah. favorite go-to for bass. We've tried a bunch. I did a show for the Killers and they were using 98s on the on the the speakers which was cool. I was like, "All right, well whatever, I'll try that." I've tried I've heard cool things about that before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I've same. seen man, I've seen a bunch of 
dudes do all kinds of crazy stuff. The D, you know, the D one twelve is like a standard. Small diaphragm standard. Small diaphragm condensers on base cabs rule. Like, I, yeah, I, I think it sounds cool. Yeah, there's I, a buyer I, dynamic that's really fucking cool. Yeah. I just can't remember the model I used M88? a while ago. I, th- I think so. Yeah, M88. yeah, that's yeah. a standard too. That's so sick. That one. Um, yeah. That thing sounds sick on kick too. Yeah, it does. Hell yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I always like the 421 or an M88 for sure. Um, uh, but yeah, it's like like Steve, I haven't used a a mic on a. Actually, that's not true. When I filled in on on on, I don't know how they found me. Uh, that's the name of the band, or IDK <laughs> How. Um, I used a 421 on the cabinet, and it because you're so slamming, famous. and it was. Uh, I get to. What's that? I was gonna say I still get to mic a lot. Uh, yeah, I do two DI lines and a mic with dance, Sick. and we do a pre coming out like right out of his base, a post coming out of his dark glass. It switches between his dark glass or his Avalon, and then we last couple tours we did an RE twenty. I've done a seven B on him before. Uh, I used the M eighty two. Didn't really like the M eighty two on base very much. Uh, really, just kind of however close he wants to get to his cab, but like I really like that RE twenty combo with the pre and post bass signal. RE twenties are slamming too. Yeah, I've yeah. gone back and forth with like miking bass guys because I never know what I want it to sound like to how to blend it. That's like same with like doing two or or three guitar mics. Like, how do you know what you want to EQ out of whatever to get like the perfect sound? Like for right. me, I've had just putting two fifty sevens down the same line sounds huge. Mm-hmm. I just with not you know just not even EQing anything, just having two coming down the same channel, like the same right down the center. It sounds fucking massive. But like with the bass cab, I was like, yeah, it sounds good, and then the other sounds good. But like, I don't do it. Do I want to make this like the boxier part of the sound, or just like the low end? You know, like I never know what to do with it. I like flipping the face just to see what sticks out more. And then sometimes like if I've got the luxury of, of, you know, having a sound check or having like a session build, I'll just flip it in and out and whichever one makes the bass stand out more. I I like the boxier sound because then you don't need to push so much low end uh, into the PA because you're getting more of the, the, the 700 is like that magic. Yeah, exactly. You get more of the the upper fundamentals for so it sticks out over the guitars. Yeah. But on that note, I got a split, guys. It was good to see you all. Thanks for having me, Steve. Love you. Thanks for the intro. Uh, I'll get I'll catch you later for uh, any royalties that okay, I owe good. you as a result. Uh, uh, listen, ASCAP should pick it up already, so it's all good. <laughs> all right, fellas. Love you all. Talk to you later. Good uh, later, Ashley. All right, we'll give Ashton a second to drop off. There he goes. All right, so, and then there were three or four, <laughs> I guess, depending on if you count me or not. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to talk a little bit more about, I wanted to circle back to the kick drum discussion because we started talking a little bit about sound port placement, and that seems to be a pretty hot topic for a lot of people. Uh, I Raise your hand if you've heard the myth about the, the Beta 52, the blue line you're supposed to, put the capsule until the blue line is with the, the face of the drum head through the sound port. And then you stop there. I've never heard that. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I haven't no. either. I mean, it seems like an intentional thing, but I mean, uh, they have them on all their mics. So I don't know if that's where like yeah. the diaphragm is maybe, I don't know we can pull out some data and look at them. I, I mean, the point, the point I was trying to make with the space in the air is, uh, 
like uh like ashton was saying too or maybe as alex um i i want that air sound and since i'm low passing the shit out of that that microphone anyways and taking the high end out of it like i want that push of air so generally i mean i'm not quite a fist but i'm probably out of the port by at least two inches three inches you oh, know what oh, i mean shit. Um, and, uh, and again, I'm, I'm trying to get that air and that's where I seem like I can, I can get that push of air and that push of sound, um, to where it's, it's where I want it to be. And I've, I've, dude, I've experimented with everything with going in the port and angled at like the shell, you know what I mean? To be like off access. I've been right at the tip of the, you know, like the head, you know, being even with that, um, inside a couple inches outside a couple inches and for me you know and i'm sure it works different for differently for everyone but for me like that's what seems to work the best for me is i'll go two or three inches outside of the port um just as long as i'm not picking up stage noise or anything like that you got to take into consideration but to where i can find that happy medium um is is where i'll kind of land and i feel there's a sweet spot you know i get that little push that i want and you know, I've definitely done my uh, time messing around with this. <laughs> have you guys have you guys messed around with actually where the port is? Like, I've never done it. I've always had the drummer that support is on like the bottom right or whatever or bottom left. But like, I know there are some drummers like Travis Barker is one example. Joey Jordison used to have it a while ago, but the center port. I wonder if like how much more air is flowing out of that center, like, you know, uh, in line with the beater versus the other line. And I wonder, I've like, I've never experienced it, but I'm sure there's probably quite a bit of difference. So I, I did I, it. Yeah. Going with that, like same thing, like there is a much better result with it at the center for me. Um, and, and it, again, it could be anything for anybody, but again, me being lazy and not wanting to use mic stands is why I prefer them to be off to the side. So yeah, I can visually it too. To, I mean, it looks it looks cleaner. You have a band with a logo on it and they don't Especially. want that all messed up, you know, but going with just the way it sounds and not the aesthetics on stage. Um, most definitely I have found that, you know, like that's where I prefer it. And even recording kick drums, like I take the kick drum head off completely and, yeah. and cover the kick drum. And, you know, then I'm able to even get that microphone out a little, even like a little bit farther than even even with the shell you know i've just never like you were saying about me moving it out two or three inches like i've never done that i don't know if uh i don't know if the band would like knock into it or whatever i know the killswitch guys run around like fucking idiots all the time so like but i'm gonna definitely try maybe at least two or three inches away from the board something like that yeah Um, i mean check it out man maybe it works for me and it doesn't for you but it's 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 something i played around with and it's something that you know, the biggest thing that I would run into as a problem with was it picking up too much rumble from the stage. So um, would you get like a bunch of low end feedback or something? Low end, you sub? just hear a little bit more hum with it. But once you're on a riser and you're you're lifted off of the deck anyways, it kind of negates a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and the same with like a, a guy in the band running into it and kicking it over. You know what I mean? I feel like once you're on a drum riser, unless they're setting up all the way at the edge, you can you can get you know you can get way with uh moving it around to uh 
ex- experiment with it? I had a drummer. Uh, I, I haven't worked with him in a while, but I worked with him a lot in the sack. Joe Arrington, who is one of the probably the best chop drummers I've ever seen and studio musician. And he swore by that center port. And the first time I started mixing him and he had a Kelly shoe in there with the 91 and then we would put the kick out directly in line, but out at that center port. And it was one of the fatter kick drums I ever got, but he was also one of the guys that he was never one for like, he had to have a branded head or anything. His whole core was just, I need my drums to sound the best they could possibly sound no matter what, like it could be the fucking weirdest looking thing. If it had the sound he wanted, he would have it. So having that center port just helped. And we had like an eight inch port too. Uh, so it took up a massive real estate on that front head and it really made it sound fat. And for the fact that he was a very dynamic drummer too, uh, I didn't lose it very often from him going to like a really powerful ass hit, especially if I had to gate him. There's been some drummers that have to overly gate that if they decide to just get quiet sometimes and I entirely lose a microphone. Mm-hmm. And with that combination, I just didn't lose him at all. So I want to ask uh, two questions and then we'll move off of drum mics here. But um, first, do you guys remember back in the day when Alex Van Halen had his double kick drum set and he had like horns mounted in the kick drum? Like there was there was just like a, a surround and then there was like three ports that looked like a like a, a raid uh, trapezoidal speaker box, but it was horns. Hmm. I don't know if I've seen that. There was like an old drum manufacturer that did stuff like that, but I don't know if it was Van Halen. I can't remember. Yeah, he always played Ludwig. Uh, and the only reason I remember it so so strongly is uh, I when I was playing drums back in the day, he was like my favorite drummer, so I always tried to do everything he yeah. did. And I could never figure out how he mounted those in there, but... Um, the follow-up question is what are your guys, uh, kick drum mics of choice? Like I'm a D six guy. I switched over to the D six from, uh, beta 52 because of the, that basketball sound. And it was always just too, you know, woofy sounding to me. Um, so with Decker was stitched up hard. I just use a single mic. Uh, everybody looks at me usually in shock, but a D six and then, you know, parallel compress it and EQ it, blah, 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 blah. But Brian, what are you, what are you using with breaking? Uh, D six is what we use with him. That's definitely my microphone of choice for kick drum mics, um, or like, a uh, uh, gong type, uh, type drum. Um, but I equally like the nine Oh two as well. Um, I've, I've definitely had some great results with the nine Oh two. Um, and you know what? I have one sitting in my mic case that um, we got from Telefunk, and I haven't tried. What's the What's the model of their kick drum mic called? Their eighty two, the M eighty two. Yeah, I haven't tried it yet, but I've got one. I've been meaning to try it, um, and I just haven't got the opportunity. Travis, same question for you. Well, I actually have I, my combo is the eighty two ninety one. I used the D6 for a long time. I, I went back and forth between the D6 and the 52, really depending on drummers. Um, I Once I kind of got the M82, I really like it. It's got a built-in kick EQ scoop in it, which if you're ever in a situation where you just get the one microphone, you can kind of get a good, like, solid kick-in, kick-out sound out of the one without doing too much. Uh, I really like that combo. I use it a lot. I can't remember what it was. I was in a studio the other day and they had that new audio technic or I don't know how new it is that has the duo diaphragm, a condenser and a dynamic in there. 
I actually thought that kind of was cool. I think so. Yeah. We use those with Devin. Kind of cool sounding. Yeah, they're pretty cool. Same question for you, Alex. Uh, 91 D6, but I for this last tour that we got cut off on was uh, the 901 and the 902. Love the 901. Yeah, I mean, it's sick. It's I left it at the Killswitch warehouse, so I've been able to like play with it. But um, that, that uh, you know, like the D691 combo has been my go-to for years, but yeah. like the 901, I can easily switch that microphone out with the 91 at any point in time. And I, I I can't say that I like one better than the other, but those two microphones to me accomplish the same exact thing in the same exact yeah. way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Have you guys tried? You guys know Alex Rudinger, the drummer? Yep. He's like a session guy. Uh, well, he used to play in a, a few bands, but he uh, he tried putting the 91 upside down on the top of the drum. So instead of the 91 being faced, you know, on the on the floor on a Kelly shoe, it was like on the top, but facing down. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was saying that it significantly reduced cymbal and snare bleed. And I was like, I don't know. I want to try it. I've never tried it. I didn't know if you guys had tried it, but he was like, I saw him posting about that. He gets yeah. ultra, ultra drum nerd. Yeah. And he's it seems really <laughs> cool. Just how you mount it in a situation with a crazy ass drummer, especially in, in and out of a venue would be hard. His room is actually really uh, is really tight as well. I've been there a few times, and uh, it's a really tight room. And I know he he's got like carpet all over the walls, and there's it's crazy in there. But he wants like crazy isolation. And it's like we also want that in a live scenario. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if it's gonna matter as much in a like I don't hear anything. You know, it's gated to hell anyway. So. Um, but I didn't know if you guys had tried that or not. I've been wanting to. I've been like, it's just a matter of like flipping the drum over and then mounting the shoe in the same way. Right. I, I, I will have cables s- that are mounted in there anyway. I just plug the two cables in. So I I will say this with the Kelly shoes with a 901 or a 91 mounted in there. I, I definitely like having it in line with the beater as opposed to just oh, like you mounted sitting. Higher? Yeah, you know what I mean. Well usually like in the center lugs yeah, yeah. anyways you're mounting it it's pretty much in line but i definitely notice a difference between putting it there as opposed to just like you know resting yeah. it on a pillow so to speak i'm gonna try yeah I've, I've put the my 91 is like mounted to the four bottom lugs or whatever like where it would normally be but just on a shoe mm-hmm. uh, and then the d6 obviously in the center but i'm gonna try raising it up a bit yeah i mean I, maybe that'll I accomplish know. the same exact thing i don't know yeah, I'll call, it, I'll call Rudy <laughs> to try it. Be like, yo, try this. It, it, it was, it was, it was cool. I mean, I think either way works just as fine. Like I've been just sticking them on a pillow for fucking years. So yes, yeah, for sure, it's but, fine. Um, but I, I think it's like uh, that point in time. It's like uh, think of it as a snare drum. The way you're mounting the snare drum, like you're not trying to. Well, I guess you can, but you're not mounting like the edge of it. Like you're actually trying to aim at, at to where like point of impact is, you know yeah. what I mean? Um, same. I think I feel like it was the same. It just is a little bit more full of a sound, but then again, we all do metal bands and we're just trying to make it clicky anyways. Yeah. That's um, another thing is <laughs> the, the mic placement of the snare drum. We could talk about for a fucking day. Oh man. Yeah. You know, what's, you know, I don't, I want to go into some of these dudes that have like three or four mics live plus the contact mic, you know, and that shit like that, that dude that makes those brass drums has like built in contact mics. Like dude from Dillinger had one, Billy Reimer. Um, 
I've seen some crazy, you know, guys with like giant portholes on the side, miking it with a 609. I was like, is that really necessary? Like, I don't know. I guess it depends on the sound that you were trying to accomplish and what kind of band it is. But man, I just like two mics, you know, and I know the dudes from Inflames, Tom and Patty both do two mic on the top, but spaced apart like four inches or whatever. Yeah. On the bottom. I've never tried it, but they're, it's, they're, Tom has always been able to get this fattest snare sound I've ever heard. It sounds amazing. So what I've done before, and this is, and, and I love this as, t- as well, but um, I don't know why. Honestly, I don't know why I haven't kept doing it. Probably just because it was laziness. But I took uh, AKG C430, which is a little lipstick condenser. Yeah. And uh, I chose that microphone, A, because it's something I had lying around, but B, it's so tiny. I don't know if you guys are familiar with those microphones. It's literally just a little size of a little lipstick case. Um, but I took a piece of Oralex, put it in between a Beta 57, lined up the capsules as best as I could so they'd be as close into line as I could and mounted that on there and then got it to where I could mount it off a 157 clip on like an LP claw or whatever. And uh, I loved it. I loved all the top end I got from that C430. Um, you know, the 57 definitely had its top end, but it, I, I used it for more of like the meat potatoes part. Yeah. And you know, the, the C430 was there just to kind of, I mean, honestly, it did a really good job of capturing the whole snare drum. I gotta be I've honest. never seen that live. The dual, but, the, that's like a studio trick I've seen a, uh, in a ton of pictures and videos and stuff, but I've never seen it live. Yeah. What I the, just used a 57, I used a 57, put yeah. a piece of Oralex in between it and gaffed it together and it worked great. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I love trying stuff. I wish I had a. I think someone made. <laughs> I think someone with like a three D printer printed a clip to do something like that. Yes, that was just to attach to the fifty seven, but will fit like any pencil condenser, or lipstick type thing, and keep it in phase and in line. Those capsules in line. Dude, that guy it sells popping it up on like wish dot com or something. Yes, that shit pops up, and I get advertisement on my Instagram for it too. And I'm like, what the hell? Now I need one. <laughs> now I need one. Yeah. <laughs> And there's that other guy making mic clips for for guitar cabs where he's like, uh, where you can put two fifty sevens at like an angle or whatever, and he's just like, yeah, but you I, don't yeah, mine, which is at the right angle. <laughs> what do you guys? What do you guys? I've I really want to explore with overheads and hi hat and underhead mics. I I've been such a man. I've my go tos for six seven years now has been like. KSM 32s over 80s or 137s for unders or hi-hats or ride. Um, on the last tour, Jim Rose had me using, uh, what was it, the 5100, Audio-Technica 5100, does that sound right? It's a little AE, uh, so it's about the size of a, K, uh, of a 137. Um, it was great. I, I, I didn't really notice much of a difference between the 137 and that particular microphone, but it was definitely refreshing to try something new, but I feel like overheads. Um, I've, I, you know, like I've used 414s, but I, you know, they're expensive. Even if you're renting, you know, it's, it's tough to approve that over a KSM 32, which is quite a bit cheaper, but what do you guys like? I did underheads for so long. And then I, started doing overheads like 
six months ago and realized I was like, why the fuck did I ever stop these? Absolutely. Like, KSM 32s or 414s. I was like, fuck, I've just been screwing up this whole time. And I remember on my last tour sitting there and just never, ever having a mix of the symbols that I liked with the other underheads, but not ever once sitting there going, well, maybe it's the fact that I'm doing as underheads instead. And, and then I switched it back over. It's like, fuck. Unless the drummer has a preference because they, again, aesthetically, they want their kit to look the same way. I have always, always, always preferred overheads. Um, and it's just, I feel like you get a much better image of the drum set, um, you know, and through compression and everything else we do, man, it's just, I rely on the overheads a lot for my overall drum picture. Um, sure. and, and like you just said, Travis, like the overheads achieve that, you know, it's, it's, you can really hear the cymbal brilliance, the separation is there. And not only that, like all of a sudden your snare drum really comes to life. You know what it I tightened mean? the kid up. Yeah. 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 I used 32s for the longest time and they're awesome mics, but I wanted something smaller and lighter and I was just trying to compact everything. And I have, uh, Neumann KM 184s. Which, oh, wow. Which are phenomenal. The only thing I don't like, I like the, the visually that I hate the cable that goes up and over, you know, it's like, it's so ugly. And like with the 32s, the side address it's like, it looks nice visually. Yeah. It's like a feeling. But whatever, I like didn't care. Like I had it on the Iron Maiden tour and a few tours, and they just sound so good. And in an arena on like big clear boxes, I can really turn them up, and they sound phenomenal. Like I love like overheads, especially if you get like your thing. If you get it in the right place, you can hear that snare like really yeah. pop too, and it's just like super nice. Those what are you nice. got there, MK4. Nick from uh, Steel Panther. Hi, Nick. Uh, uses those, and they they sound amazing. Like Styx's drum sound in my ears is just so sick, and it's just like a good combo of mics. Good I drummer. Tried. And honestly, you can use any mic on any drummer. And yeah, so good as long as the drum kit is well tuned and well played. I think that's why I've just kept with the thirty twos, man. Is because it's it's always it's always reliable. You know what I mean? I know what I'm going to get out. It's like the 57 talk. Yeah. Like it's always reliable. I know what I'm going to get out of it and I know how to work what I'll get out of it the right way. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Where do you guys normally jump off with uh, a high pass filter for your overheads? How, how, how low or high are you high passing that? 400, whatever the console let me do. <laughs> I, I used to go to 400. Um, in the past couple years, I've started backing it back down to just above the noise floor level. Uh, again, like uh, I think, like you know, when you're when you're thinking about the overheads for now, now hi hat ride microphones, I do go up to four hundred or whatever just so I can get the brilliance and the attack <laughs> of that symbol. But specifically overheads, um, two fifty, two hundred, whatever I can get away with as far as not hearing any kind of boominess from the room. Again, the reason is because that snare, what's the frequency we all boost is that 170, 200, something around there, right? And when you have it there in the microphone, the overheads as well, again, I've, I've found that I get a much fatter snare drum, but the variable is always going to be the noise floor level, you know, and, and what you can get away with. If you're in a little tiny fucking club, on some shitty ass bar stage, 
um, anyway. 400. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, but, uh, you know, Any, what, whatever you can get away with is how far, how low I'll go. Yeah. That's cool. Maybe I'll try some more of that. I always just did it up because like, you know, I saw other guys doing it. I was like, that sounds good. I'm going to try that. Dude, and, and I did when that I was, for the longest time, absolutely, yeah. and it fucking works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just I feel like it's another way to because the snare drum is the thing I'm always like. It's that focal point for me, man. When absolutely. it comes to drums, and I've everything I do is around making that snare drum sound as huge as I can when it comes to micing a drum kick. Yeah, I mean, shit, I have three goddamn reverbs on my snare. Like, it's like <laughs> as, as big as we can make it sound, we'll make it bigger. So what are you using? Because I don't, I, I use two reverbs. I use an effect reverb where I might push it to where I can get that over room fucking chamber effect. But then I just, I, I, I I've never really gotten into using multiple reverbs consistently through a snare drum like that. I and I don't remember who I stole it from. Maybe George from Parkway, but like there is one. So one is like a, they're both plates, but one is high pass and one is low pass. Oh, so you can kind of blend. So like a lot of the snare bottom is going into the high pass one. And a, and a lot of the other one is going into the low pass. So you can kind of have a bunch of the real sizzly snare in the, in the really like bright reverb and then have all the fat bottom end in the other one. And the third one is really just like a bomb effect. Yeah. Like that's what I use right now is like a consistent drum verb and then the bomb. But it was cool because in like in different rooms or different PAs, you can turn that the, the low pass one down or up or like same with the other one. If you have a, like a really bright PA, you know, that's like really like in your face, you can turn that high one down and, have the are, snares be a little Are there any differences in decay time between the one that's low passed or the one that's high passed? No, no I've had them both at like 1.1 1. 1 or whatever it is. And and the pre-delays you're kind of using the same as well? Yeah, it's I don't know 15 millis 20 milliseconds. I don't remember what it is, but maybe Man. Zero? I don't I can't remember. It really depends. Just to get that extra big fat snare sound is like I've I've gotten back to rolling back my and this has been for a few years now is my uh, pre delay on my snare and vocals get pushed back farther and farther and farther and without having my session in front of me I would say that I'm probably somewhere in the sixty millisecond range with a snare drum Damn. especially mixing the bigger rooms I've been fortunate enough to mix with breaking it's just yeah. like you that snare drum that attack of that snare drum gets lost so much quicker in a big you know arena yeah, than it would in a club you know what i mean so having that extra little bit of time for that dry snare to come through before the reverb kicks in has been something that's been like a, a huge help and i started doing that on uh Actually, I was out with uh, Mice and Men in Europe on tour with Five Finger, Death Punch, and In Flames. And uh, the um, the SE was the guy that he came over. He's this German guy from GoGo Audio. Love him. He's Eric. He's super blunt dude, but he's like, you know, your 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 reverbs suck. <laughs> I was like. <laughs> Copy that. that the most German <laughs> <response>. Yeah. <laughs> Copy that. Did, did, but this guy, like, uh, you know, without getting too personal about him, like he 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 uh, he has Asperger's, so he's somebody that like uh, it's just the way his brain brain's wired. Like he he you know he's just very very you know blatant. 
But he's like, would you like me to help you with that? And I was like, sure. All right, cool. You know, I'm open to anything, you know. And uh, with vocals and drum reverbs, that was the one big thing that he was telling me about is he's like, you're washing out everything, you know, all the clarity from the initial hit. You know what I mean? And I was like, okay, that makes sense. And I tried it, man. And uh, and again, it was one of those little things. And you think about like, because I was always around 20 milliseconds before on a pre-delay, if at all. You yeah. know what I mean? And I went from doing like 20 milliseconds or if at all and having like a second and a half decay time to going to like 80 milliseconds and like maybe a second or maybe like 0.8 as far as a decay time just to keep, again, control. Of it the totally bird. makes sense. I'm totally going to change. I'm going to even try it in Pro Tools and like see... I, I, you know, and this is for the room, like mixing yeah, the room, yeah. like, cause you know, in an arena, like, like I just said, yeah, you're going to yeah. have a different, like I said, I don't know if it's it, a how lot of variables. Work. Yeah. Like, I don't know how it worked, like sitting here with Cubase or whatever. Let yeah. me know how that works. That would be awesome. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but it, it definitely cleaned it up. It cleared it up. And just like I said, just, you know, think of milliseconds. It's like, whatever, yeah. but it's, it, it made a big difference and um same with the vocals i use the same kind of approach with the vocals less of a decay time more of a pre-delay time so you're getting that dry vocal before the reverb hits and it's it's definitely something that's allowed me to use the effect more effectively um and still have it there rather than going like well today is a no reverb day <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. so um yeah try it out check it out for sure yeah, I'll try slowing it down. I've never, I don't think I've ever tried it. I think when I have tried it, I didn't, not even that long. I would do like 30 and be like, eh, I don't really like that. Like, you got to get past mentally for me, what I was hearing was you got to get past it trying to blend yeah. with that hit. You got to get listening too much to the like one specific thing and not like the whole picture or whatever. Right. Get, get past like listen to the initial transient and and think of it as just the tail of it and hear the snare and let that tail come in and you can hear it like once you start focusing in on it and it's just like crack you know what i mean and yeah. it's and it really that's where you're fine tuning it and when i adjust my reverbs and i do it for every show for every room especially mixing arenas that's the one thing i go back and forth to is the pre-delay time and that's why I say it's it's around 70, maybe 80 milliseconds, maybe sometimes up to 60, sometimes maybe even a little farther if we're yeah. in a really shitty, shitty room. Yeah. And then if it gets too shitty, I will bring it back out again. But, you know. We're coming up on an hour here, so I just want to ask maybe a couple of follow-up questions and then we'll we'll call it good for this session. But do you find that you have to adjust it then during the show once the arena fills up with people? I have. Um and I try my hardest, just like when you're EQing the room that day or, you know, setting everything to try to predict, you know, what's going to be too much. It's like, you know, in a dry, empty room with concrete floors and plastic seats and the whole nine, like you're going to have more harshness there than you're probably going to want during the show, obviously. So a lot of times just like with the EQ where I'm making mental notes. Okay. That's this frequency. That's this frequency. I'm doing the same thing with the reverb. I'm going like, all right, you know, this, you know what I mean? I'm just trying to make that mental note and I'm trying to think about it in a sense that, okay, once this room fills up, you know, um, 
how's that going to change? And, and a lot of times, you know, like with the arenas, like I'm, I'm new to that level of mixing, you know what I mean? So once I go through there the seventh, eighth, 10th time, you know what I mean? Like, I think I'll know the rooms better. Like, you know, the clubs I've been through a thousand times, you know what I mean? Travis or Alex, you guys do the same thing. Are you, when you're doing sound check and you're really trying to dial in the sound of a, the snare or an effect on something, are you then finding yourselves going back in and adjusting it during the show or is it set it, forget it. And, and you're pretty good, man. It depends. Uh, I, I used to, I don't know for like trying to figure out what the room's going to sound like. I think by now, most of us have been through so many rooms we can kind of tell, but, uh, there's still some rooms that surprise me or, you know, or whatever. And I'm just like, Whoa, okay. It's really tight. Or there's some rooms that don't surprise me at all. Like the upstairs at the Eagles ballroom that sounds worse when it's sold out. I don't know how that's possible, but it somehow <laughs> sounds worse. Uh, and it's just like, uh, okay. And like, as far as effects, man, uh, yes, it depends. Like if the room ends up being super tight, once the people are in like, yeah, I'll have to boost up the, the reverb a little bit. Sometimes it'll during soundtrack, I'll be like, Oh shit, that's a lot of reverb. Like, but you know, I'm talking about like a couple of DB, maybe, I mean, five at the absolute most, but, um, I think in, in tighter rooms for sure, where you can make it come up a bit. Uh, and it's, uh, when you're in a dry room to begin with no sound check and it becomes even drier. That's like, I don't know. Those are like fun. Like Best Buy theater in New York is like a perfect example of like an ultra dry room where you have yeah. to add a ton. You have of to energy. overly do all oh, of your yeah. effects yeah. there. I'm like I've never like run into that. It's like the only place. Uh, maybe there's like one place in Korea or like whatever, but, or Japan or something, but like that. Other than that, that that room just you have to add reverb to Absolutely. everything. Need you need ambience for everything, but other than that, it's a fun room to mix, though. Yeah, it is for sure. Yeah. Rest in peace. Now that it's gone, unfortunately, is it gone? Really? Yeah, they posted before COVID and everything that because it became PlayStation, and then PlayStation was oh, yeah. no more part of the sponsorship with it, and I think it was going into some type of corporate event facility. But yes, yeah. no more PlayStation Theater. Man, that that place has changed so many names over the years. What was and, the first one? It oh wasn't man, Best Buy theater before it was something else. Well, it's been the Best Buy. It's been PlayStation. It's been oh man, what was it years ago? Not, was it Nokia Theater? Nokia, yeah, yeah Nokia, yeah. Um, it it'll be hopefully they're not. I mean, they it'll can't demolish that building, but hopefully, like you know, like it's it's you know, it's part of a much larger building. So it's still going to be there, but hopefully they don't gut it or anything like that. Like I, aside from dealing with the union hands there and the parking and the part, the lack of parking, like I I love going through that place. Um, you know, it's just dealing with, I love you, uh, stage hands all over the world, but, um, dealing with New York and, and, and New Jersey is, is rough sometimes. Yeah. Um, you know, especially there. Um, so it's, uh, that's my only gripe about that is the street hustle, trying to get the load in load out done. And, and, you know, same with the Eagles ballroom, you brought that up. Like that room is fucked to mix, but the worst part about it is when you actually have a lot of production and you're loading into that place. Uh, rain through the fucking windows yes we did we did that tour with breaking benjamin a couple years ago and it was uh it was a headlining show and it was a 
I want to say it was a makeup date for another tour or something like that. That was like some radio. Sh I can't remember. But anyways, it took, I think, our last truck and I'm production manager as well as front of house. So I'm up there until the last truck leaves. I'm there, you know, and I think our last truck rolled out at like 4 a.m. from it like 11, even one done at truck. 11. Well, no, we had what did we have six trucks seven trucks on that tour but but the last truck left like at four in the morning you know what i mean but even just with one truck i think is what you're saying was yeah. it's it's brutal like it's yeah. it's fucked unless it fits in that stupid fucking elevator you're fucked <laughs> that, shit is, that place is brutal yeah well it's supposedly cursed and uh apparently the whoever is cursing it is a really disgruntled old sound guy for or sure. production manager Every, yeah, yeah. Lodens aren't i mean Lodens are fine for the other rooms but every room sounds terrible yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i don't want to talk out of school or anything and i always feel bad when i say something about a venue especially one that's in my home state and one that i always looked up to uh having the opportunity to mix when i was younger but man that middle floor is brutal the the pa is just really harsh at least that was my experience with it. Uh, do you guys have any experience with the other rooms in the rave, either like the Eagles ballroom upstairs and, and whatnot in terms of uh, PA experiences? Downstairs is really underpowered and oh my uh, like God. a bowling it... alley. Dude, that the was fucking Middle floor uh, has that PA that just rips your face off. You got to basically take everything from like 1K to 6K and just fucking cut it. Yeah. Or else you're, you don't have a mix. Yeah, that's so true. And Alex, that's the room that we were in with Steel Panther and Stitched Up Heart last fall. And so much of Stitched Up Heart's content is located in that 1K, 2K, 3K range. I was pulling all of that out of the mix and just losing all my clarity. So then I put it back in and it would just destroy me. And I cut my teeth on some really tough rooms, but man, that room was just absolutely brutal. And it was so disappointing to me. I just, I can't get over how tricky that room is. I wonder what a different. I've actually not done upstairs. I've just watched the loaded. I always end up doing the rave room. Yeah, yeah. I wonder what a different PA would sound like in there because it's all Macaulay in every room. Which I like. No, Macaulay. they have Martin downstairs. I they like have Macaulay. Martin, uh, the eight C's downstairs. I know. I'm just curious to see. Maybe a, that PA is not right for that room. I don't know. Like, yeah. I can't. I can't get it to sound good. Like ever. Like. Oh, I did the Eagles upstairs half room with animals one time. That was cool. That actually sounded better. You're talking about the middle room, like the 12, 1500 cap room? No, no, no. The all the way, the big room upstairs. But they what they do is they build oh. a stage in the center of the room and cut it in half. It's actually I, pretty cool. I've had some great shows on the 1200, 1500 cap room. Yeah. Whenever we're going there and it's we're mixing that middle room, I think it's just called the rave. Yeah, I think yeah. at that point. Yeah. But uh, going there, if I'm mixing that room, like I'm stoked. Like I've I've always had great shows yeah, going there, but I've only mixed a hand, couple of times in those smaller rooms. And you're right, it's underpowered. It fucking sucks. The ceiling's low, so the loud sound dispersion is just insane. Um, but uh, that upstairs room with that like three second, four second standing reverb is just a fucking ass kicker. <laughs> yeah that room's called the eagles ballroom yeah, and yeah. i've seen i don't even know how because i live an hour and 20 minutes from there i can't tell you how many shows i've seen there but uh actually one of the best shows i've seen there was the half room for uh chevelle with breaking ben 
This was like probably 2017, I th- want to guess. And uh, I don't know if you were mixing that. No, one I'd have been not. before me. Yeah. All right. Well, our memories are failing and <laughs> time is fleeting us. So let's go ahead and put a bow on this podcast and call it good. So guys, I really appreciate your time again. As always, it's a pleasure to chat with you and sit down and learn from you guys and hear your experiences. And I'm sure everybody that listens thinks the same way. So on behalf of uh, Alex and Brian and Travis and Ashton, Bye, Ashton. Uh, Bye, Ashton. uh, Farewell for now, and we will talk to everybody soon. And that's a wrap on this episode of Mix Masters. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please be sure to subscribe and then tell a friend. Or maybe leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I'd certainly appreciate it. I produce Mix Masters on the Allen & Heath DLive system with Shure microphones and a little help from Apple's Logic Pro X and some Waves SoundGrid plugins. One more round of thanks to Merritt Goodwin for the music. And until next time, stay safe and healthy, and thanks again for listening.